Participatory Action Research by Alice McIntyre. Introduction. Many years ago, when I was frustrated by one of the very humanizing moments of a Participatory Action Research, PAR, project, I thought of something that I had heard the previous year at an academic conference. When you get to the crossroads, take it. Since then, I have stood at the crossroads in PAR projects multiple times, and the advice still stands. When I get to the crossroads, I take it. Since then, I have stood at the crossroads in PAR projects multiple times, and the advice still stands. When I get to the crossroads, I take it. In other words, when I am in doubt about what to do, I do something. The some things I have done in the context of PAR have humbled, encouraged, disappointed, surprised, and reassured me. They have also reminded me of the necessity of PAR within the social sciences and the need for researchers from across a number of disciplines to participate with people in improving and understanding the world by changing it. In this book, I describe how participants in two different PAR projects engaged in collaborative processes aimed at improving and understanding their worlds in order to change them. I do so by focusing on three characteristics of PAR, the active participation of researchers and participants in the co-construction of knowledge, the promotion of self and critical awareness that leads to individual, collective, and or social change, and the building of alliances between researchers and participants in the planning, implementation, and dissemination of the research process. I describe how the participants of both projects became the primary actors in the research process, enhancing their understanding and knowledge of issues through individual and collective reflection and investigation. I then explore how the participants took action to improve their conditions, clarify information to outside communities, and gain a better understanding of the external circumstances that structure their lives. One of the projects I highlight is a three-year PAR project I engaged in with a group of adolescents of color living in an inner-city community in the northeast region of the United States. Together, we explored how these adolescents experienced the multiple forms of violence that characterized their lives. The second PAR project discussed in this book reveals how a group of women living in Belfast, the north of Ireland, participated in a project aimed at bringing to light the gendered violence that occurred during that country's 35-year war. By engaging in PAR processes, the women and the young people articulated how violence is produced, reproduced, and experienced in their lives. Out of those articulations, both groups implemented action plans that addressed issues salient to them, both individually and collectively. I briefly describe those projects below. PAR, Constructing Meaning and Enacting Change with Urban Youth From 1997 to 2000, I engaged in a PAR project at the Blair Elementary and Middle School, an inner-city public school in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Although located in one of the wealthiest counties in the United States, Bridgeport has a disproportionate share of the problems that affect many urban communities throughout the country. For example, high criminal activity, unemployment, and low-wage jobs, under-resourced schools, and racial isolation. In 1997, I was introduced to Mrs. Leslie, a sixth-grade teacher at the Blair School. She invited me to present my idea about a PAR project to her 24 African-American, Jamaican, Puerto Rican, Dominican, and Haitian students, 12 boys and 12 girls. I told the young people a little bit about myself, my experiences growing up and teaching in Boston schools, my journey from classroom teaching to teaching in a university, and my desire to collaborate with them in exploring what it meant for them to live in a Bridgeport community. After a lively discussion about how we would engage that exploration, the young people decided to participate in the project. Over a three-year period, a group of graduate students from the university where I worked, a shifting population of young adolescents, and I met together once a week for an average of an hour and a half per group session. Together, we participated in a range of project-related activities aimed at furthering the young people's goal of informing their community about the effects of violence on themselves, their schools, and their environment. Women Researching Their Lives 
P.A.R. in Belfast, the North of Ireland. I first visited Belfast in 1996 and made contact with a number of women, local community workers, teachers, children, parents, and caregivers. I returned to Belfast a number of times over the next two years to work with children and youth in a local Irish school as well as in a local youth center. During my years working with the young people, I lived with a family in the Monument Road community, where both the school and the youth center are located. By living with and among Monument Road residents, participating in a host of community activities, and facilitating a project with a group of children in the community, I gained a better understanding of what life is like for the people living there. During that time, I also developed friendships with a group of women who invited me to collaborate with them in designing a project aimed at exploring issues that affect them as mothers, daughters, wives, partners, caregivers, and the primary stakeholders in community life. I formulated a letter that the women disseminated to other women in the community, inviting them to participate in the project. In the letter, I introduced myself and described my, our, ideas for a project that would specifically address issues of concern to the women living in the Monument Road community. The women informed me that they would contact me in the United States with the names of the women who elected to participate. We would then draft a schedule and a framework for how the project would proceed. When the project began, the nine women that ultimately participated ranged in age from 24 to 40. Some of them are married, others divorced or single, some have children, others do not. Some are employed, others are not working outside the home. For two years, the women engaged in informative, reflective, and critical dialogue about their experiences living in the Monument Road community. By engaging in that dialogue and participating in a wide range of consciousness-raising activities, the women constructed new ways of viewing their lives and new strategies for communicating their experiences to others. The stories of how a group of young urban adolescents of color living in the United States and a group of Irish working-class women living in Belfast, the north of Ireland, move from a place of dialoguing about issues that are of concern to them to a place where they take action on those issues, was mediated by the very humanness that characterizes PAR projects. There were complications, confusion, and a host of distractions. There were moments of connection, revelation, and genuine collaboration. There were moments of enlightenment, resignation, and all kinds of moments in between. Traditional methods of social science research would not have contained the push and pull of conflicting and competing moments, agendas, and perspectives they were inherent in the participatory processes described herein. Nor would conventional research paradigms provide a framework for addressing the researcher-participant relationship, the co-developing of the research process, and the positioning of consciousness-raising and affecting change within the overall research experience. Participatory action research does provide opportunities for co-developing processes with people rather than for people. Its emphasis on people's lived experiences, individual and social change, the co-construction of knowledge, and quote, the notion of action as a legitimate mode of knowing, thereby taking the realm of knowledge into the field of practice, end quote, has the potential to create public spaces where researchers and participants can reshape their understanding of how political, educational, social, economic, and familial contexts mediate people's lives. A note about terminology. The people involved in PAR projects are defined in a host of different ways. The definitions practitioners and participants use are always in flux and oftentimes contested. That is because practitioners of PAR reject the kind of dualisms that characterize traditional social science research and therefore make every effort to equalize the relationships that exist in PAR projects. As McTaggart argues, the distinction between academics and participants of PAR projects must not be taken to imply that, quote, theory resides in one place and its implementation in another. Such a view is the antithesis of the commitment of participatory action research that seeks the development of theoretically informed practice for all parties involved, end quote. In the case of the two projects described here, I invited the young people and the women to decide how we would identify ourselves in any writings or presentations that resulted from our work together. 
I explained the various terms that were used in the literature related to participatory action research. I also informed them that we could generate our own terminology that was particular to our respective projects. Both groups recognized that, as Tanisha, one of the young people, said, we're all in this together. Yet they also recognized that we had different roles and responsibilities as researchers, participants, and collaborators in a PAR process. The young people agreed that we needed to be clear to each other and to our respective audiences, including faculty members, community groups, school-age students, and parents and caregivers, about what those roles and responsibilities were. As Monique stated, quote, You're like the researcher, Dr. Mack, and we're the ones who are researching too, but you have to show us how to do that. But you can participate too, because we all have to participate. End quote. The women in Belfast felt similarly. Although they agreed that we were all participants in a collaborative process, they also believed that we needed to be clear about our respective roles within the project. As Tricia stated, quote, There's a difference between you and us, Alice. You're a researcher first, then a person who participates in the project. We're the community, the ones who are here, who participate in everything. We're learning through this project how to do research, but we're participants first, and then researchers. End quote. Based on the discussions I engaged in with the young people and the women, and to provide clarity to the reader, I used the terms researcher and practitioner to describe me and my role in the projects. The university-based team consists of the graduate students who participated in the Bridgeport project. I include myself as a member of that team. I used the term participant to describe the young people who participated in the Bridgeport project and the women who participated in the Belfast project. Since PAR creates spaces, where all those involved have a part to play in reaching consensus about project-related issues. I include myself as a participant in both projects. A disclaimer. The publication manual of the American Psychological Association states that, quote, racial and ethnic groups are designated by proper nouns and are capitalized. Therefore, use uppercase B, black, and uppercase W, white, instead of lowercase B, black, and lowercase W, white. Colors to refer to other human groups currently are considered pejorative and should not be used. End quote. I argue that many people in the United States have beliefs about race that have been shaped and influenced by entrenched beliefs about the dominance of whites and the subjugation of people of color. Thus, if I were in the position to decide how to refer to racial groups within this book, I would use the uppercase B for black and the lowercase w for white, because, as Harris states, both have, quote, a particular political history. Although white and uppercase B black have been defined oppositionally, they are not functional opposites. White has incorporated black subordination. Black is not based on domination. Black is naming that is part of the counter-hegemonic practice. End quote. In keeping with Harris's position, I would also use the uppercase C for people of color. Outline of the book. The book is organized into five chapters. Chapter 1 introduces PAR, tracing its roots from Latin America, Africa, and other parts of the world, to Canada and the United States. In addition, I describe how PAR offers a multidimensional approach to research that intentionally integrates participants' life experiences into the research process. Too often, cultural, religious, familial, and community beliefs, as well as related practices that are particular to specific groups of people, are overlooked within research projects directed at marginalized communities. The two projects presented in this book are exceptions. Both communities are constituted by diverse linguistic, cultural, ethnic, religious, gendered, and racial practices. Thus, these practices need to be explored, critiqued, and utilized. Participatory action research is one research approach that has the capacity to address those varied practices. Finally, I discuss the ethical issues that are generated in PAR, issues that need to be mutually addressed by practitioners and participants throughout the research process. In Chapter 2, I focus on the meaning of participation in PAR projects. 
I provide an overview of the process by which the young people in Bridgeport and the women in Belfast came to understand how their individual and collective participation in PAR informed both processes. Both groups of participants realize that participation is not fixed. Rather, it is a fluid process that is dependent on an individual's decision to participate in a research process, as well as an individual's ability to be present to the multifaceted aspects of a PAR project. Both the young people and the women brought different sets of skills, talents, strengths, desires, and interests to the table, all of which needed to be taken into account when decisions were made about where to go, what to do, and how to do it. In Chapter 3, I move from foregrounding participation to highlighting the meanings of action and change within PER processes. The book shifts from exploring how the young people and the women generated knowledge to demonstrating how both groups formulated action plans to address the information they gathered. I also examine the challenges both groups of participants faced in developing said action plans. Some of the challenges that were generated in terms of what actions the young people took in their project had to do with age, access to resources, and the ability to implement particular actions. For example, participants wanted to organize a citywide cleanup event that required more time, energy, and human power than we had at our disposal. Therefore, the young people reconsidered their original idea and decided to limit their actions to their own neighborhood. In doing so, they acted in accordance with the aims of the project while exhibiting a keen understanding of their limitations. The challenges that were generated in terms of the actions the women in Belfast engaged in had more to do with living most of their lives in the context of war, a context that, for many of the women, was and is marked by various forms of silence. Sometimes the women felt, as Patricia stated, quote, free to talk about stuff we've never talked about really, well, not in a group like this, end quote. Other times, the women's desire to talk with one another, and with me, was overshadowed by a desire to remain silent about a number of events that have informed and influenced the ways they engage the world. The women's individual and collective tugs of war about what to say, what not to say, and how to act on the information that was generated in the group sessions reveals the complexities that accompany self and collective revelations within PAR processes. In addition, the women's struggles with how to act on the knowledge gleaned from the research process reminds practitioners of PAR to attend to participants' fears and anxieties when deciding how to make visible what is sometimes left invisible in social science research. In chapters 2 and 3, I also describe how the participants in both projects engaged in photo voice, a methodology that enabled both groups to use cameras to record aspects of their daily lives from their own perspectives. In addition, photo voice provided opportunities for the young people and the women to focus on aspects of their lives and communities that they are proud of, as well as the ones about which they have the greatest concerns. In chapter 4, I discuss what constitutes research in participatory action research. I do so by discussing how the participation of the young people and the women in their respective projects illuminate salient aspects of research, inquiry, investigation, analysis, and dissemination of knowledge. In both projects, the groups engaged in inquiry-based activities that generated multiple forms of knowledge. Through photography, painting, collages, and other forms of gathering knowledge, the young people and the women collected information about themselves and their communities. Out of that knowledge, they uncovered themes about their lives that informed how they crafted the action phases of their projects. In addition, the participant groups became active decision-makers in what stories and events would be revealed to outside audiences. For the young people, they made multiple decisions about what information to include in presentations to government officials, to faculty and students at two universities, to the members of the Blair School community, and to the media. The participants also made multiple decisions in the design of a photo textbook and in the creation of a group they formed called One Step, the Save the Earth program. The women of Belfast made decisions about what information to reveal to outside communities as it pertained to the photo text exhibit they designed and displayed at the 2003 West Belfast Festival in the north of Ireland. 
I also invited groups of participants in different ways, given their ages and their unfamiliarity with academic publishing, to co-author manuscripts with me, as well as to review articles, chapters of books, and professional presentations that I was in the process of writing. I asked both participant groups to inform me if they agreed with my interpretations of certain events, and or if they understood the ways in which I formulated links between various aspects of the project. The women were reluctant to co-author a publication with me. As Lucy stated, quote, We'll promise we'll read the stuff, Alice, but we're not writing with you. We'll make you cups of tea, feed you every night, but no, we're not writing anything with you. End quote. The young people, on the other hand, were eager to communicate their work to others. Yet instead of co-authoring a journal article with me, they chose to co-author various presentations they gave to outside communities, as well as to co-design and co-write the previously noted one-step photo text book. Notwithstanding the strategies I slash we employed so that both groups of participants could collaborate in the analysis and dissemination of the data I used for academic-related work, I was the sole framer of those writings. In the final chapter, I revisit the ethical issues that arise in PAR projects. In addition, I discuss the implications of PAR to affect individual and collective change. I suggest that PAR can bring about new ways of thinking about what life is like for various groups of people throughout the world, ways of thinking that will assist those groups in developing strategies for individual and collective well-being. I also encourage educators, community activists, psychologists, and researchers to act on the insights gleaned from PAR and take responsibility for initiating effective and transformative ways to pursue action-based research with participating communities. Concluding Reflections Through my experiences as a practitioner of PAR in the United States and in Belfast, the north of Ireland, I have learned to focus on the importance of context in exploring, explaining, and acting on community issues. In addition, I have learned the importance of co-creating spaces with marginalized groups where they can speak their stories into life, where they, quote, are free to choose authentically and for themselves, individually and in the context of mutual participation, end quote, how to take actions that will improve their current situations. Engaging in PAR with the women in Belfast and the young people in Bridgeport, both of whom have been socially excluded, economically disadvantaged, and institutionally marginalized in their respective countries, was one way to both accompany people as they worked for change and to more effectively address their needs through collaborative efforts. That does not mean that PAR is a panacea for the multiple issues that mediate life for so many groups worldwide. As with other forms of research, there are ambiguities, complications, and unexpected challenges. Yet those challenges do not have to derail the PAR process. Rather, they can be used to reconstitute how we do research. As a result of that reconstitution, practitioners of PAR can provide opportunities for participants to strengthen their awareness about their individual and collective skills, resources, and abilities to build communities of inquiry and change. Given the diversity of perspectives, the variety of methods, the different research approaches, the wide range of objectives, and the underlying principles that underscore PAR, it appears unreasonable to think that there will ever be a fully realized PAR project. Yet as far as I can tell, that is not the overarching reason that practitioners and participants engage in participatory action research. Rather, I suggest it is because they believe in PAR's potential to explain and interpret reality so as to change it. Lincoln and Goulet suggest that, quote, we have been doing the right work, but sometimes we are not certain that we are doing the work right, end quote. This book explores one way of engaging in the right work while recognizing that doing the work right is an ongoing, humanizing process that we learn as we go.